So Brent has been going through a, a series in the book of Exodus, and uh, we've been going through it for the last uh, a few weeks. And uh, we come to a, a very famous uh, passage uh, this morning. Uh, this is the, the passage where Moses has this encounter with God uh, in the form of a burning bush. Uh, if, if, if you grew up in Sunday school, you might have seen this on the flannel boards. Anybody? <laughs> Uh, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you've probably taught through this. This is a very famous passage. God appears to Moses in this, in this strange figure of a burning bush that is not consumed. Um, uh, and so it's, it's a very strange uh, passage, a very famous passage. And uh, up, up, what's even stranger is up, up until now, God uh, hasn't really come into the picture. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, he's been mentioned several times. Uh, but the person that's been, uh, been, been the focus of the book of Exodus for the last three chapters uh, has almost been exclusively Moses. Uh, Moses has been the exclusive uh, focus of this book. So we witnessed his birth. We witnessed, uh, you know, his, he's been being placed in the basket and rescued from death. Uh, he's being placed into power. And now his time in Midian as, as a shepherd. All of this book is about Moses. It's not until now that God comes into the picture. And what does God do? Well, he calls Moses to be the leader of his, of, uh, of his people. Now, doesn't that seem strange? Usually when we think of the book of Exodus... We think about God. God is the one who rescues his people from, from bondage. God is the one who opens the, the Red Sea so that Israel can walk through. God is the one who uh, uh, dispatches the ten plagues. Okay? Uh, but, but the focus has been exclusively on Moses. And the question is why? Why, why hasn't God appeared until now in, in Exodus 3? And uh, the answer is that you know, God always saves his people. But he wants to use his people to save his people. And here in this book, he wants to use Moses. Uh, in, in, in this passage in Exodus 3, he's calling Moses to be uh, the mediator, to be the rescuer of his people. And it's not until we come to this moment in Exodus 3 that Moses uh, is ready to be used by God. Uh, Moses, has, in, until now, has not been ready to be the rescuer of God's people. It's not until we come to Exodus 3 that he is prepared, ready, trained to be used by God. And, you know, if you, if you think about it, the story of Moses really follows almost every hero movie that you, that you could think about. You can think about Superman. You know, Superman didn't just wake up one day with tights and decide to be a hero, right? Uh, you know, as, as, as good as he looks in those very tight tights, you know. No, he, he's from a planet called Krypton where he was a normal Joe Schmo and then he got rocketed to earth where he miraculously has these powers, right? And uh, kryptonite is his weakness because on Krypton, he was just a regular guy, you know? Or, or, or uh, you can think about uh, Harry Potter. You know, Harry Potter is this boy hero, but he had this whole long backstory of anguish and uh, abuse and all that, that it prepared him to be the hero that he was. Um, or you can think about Luke Skywalker, okay? Uh, Luke Skywalker was this orphan who was set up to be this hero, but he wasn't ready. He had to be trained by a, a wise old alien thing named Yoda, right, to be a Jedi. You know, he didn't wake up one day and just become a Jedi. No, they, he had to be prepared. It's not until this moment that God is ready to call Moses to be the leader of his people. Uh, God is calling Moses to a special ministry, but it's not until this moment uh, in Exodus 3 that Moses was ready. And God has called all of us. He's called all of us to a specific vocation, a special ministry. 
whether it be parent, uh, son or daughter, student, uh, manager, whether it be some sort of uh, specific ministry in this church or outside this church, God has called all of us to a specific ministry. But we have to be, uh, in order to be used by God, we have to be ready. Uh, We have to be rightly trained. We have to have the right disposition. We have to have the right uh, ability. So for instance, something as simple as, you know, it was when I, uh, I was shipped off to Florida when I was a drug addict, and it was there <laughs> that I felt the call to, uh, to ministry. And I felt a very strong call to ministry. I felt God calling me. But I was not ready whatsoever. <laughs> okay? First of all, I was still in rehab, <laughs> so there's that. But also, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know how to teach the Bible. If you would have asked me to get up on the stage and say anything, I would have hid and run, Okay? I had to be trained. I had to be prepared. And so I went to college. I, I uh, you know, did all this uh, training in, in college to get ready uh, to, to go into ministry. And, and even when I went into ministry and I started teaching, I, went to, I was a part-time college pastor, and I was so excited to be a preacher. And so I had these 20, 30 college kids gathered in this room for this, this college ministry, and I just I wanted to teach. Well, my fr- very first sermons were about an hour long, and, and I loved it. I just loved it. But no one else did, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there's these, there's these college students that have been in classes all day long, and they're falling asleep, you know, <laughs> and I remember it, it, it came to, to a student coming up to me and saying, Lucas, have you thought about shorting it? <laughs> just, just a little bit, <laughs> and so I, I, I had to learn to, to talk and to speak and to preach in such a way that people don't fall asleep, right? Uh, I had to have all of this training and preparation and something as simple as, as uh, you know, teaching in Sunday school. You know, I, I try to do Bible studies with my kids, but I, I don't know how to do it. You know, you Sunday school teachers are just, you're my heroes, right? Or playing guitar, or, or uh, going and, and, and uh, doing a mission trip. All of these things, you have to have practical skills. Moses had to grow. He had to be prepared to be God's chosen instrument. And, but even more than that, as, as, as important as learned skills are, that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, m- most of God's preparing us for various callings has not so much to do with practical skills, but inward character. In order for God to use us, in order for us to be used by God, uh, we have to have the right disposition. We have to have the right maturity. We have to have the right heart. We have to have character. So for instance, when Paul talks about the qualifications of a pastor, he does say, Hey, um, pastors or elders, you do need to be apt to teach. And by that he means if, if somebody comes to you for, 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 uh, for counseling or whatever, you need to be able to use the Bible. You need to be able to teach them something. But that comes, uh, that comes at, the, at the end of a long laundry list of character qualifications. Right? So for instance, elders can't be greedy. <laughs> they can't cheat on their wives. Go figure. Right? They can't be drunkards. You know, they can't be getting drunk all the time. It's, it's this long laundry list of character qualifications that a pastor needs. God, more than, more than even skills, is looking for a certain type of person. Now, what's fascinating is I, I found this uh, Washington Post uh, article. It was written by a woman named Valerie Strauss. And it was, it was, uh, she, she had been uh, uh, studying the way that uh, the company Google hires people. And, and usually when you think about a, a company like Google, you think, oh, well, they need to hire people with, with techie skills, right? Somebody that knows how to get online and uh, do that sort of stuff, right? Um, I'm not going to work at Google ever because I, <laughs> I don't even know what you'd do. <laughs> but, but, after, but after this long process, 
uh, Valerie Strauss says that Google discovered that above skills, right, above know-how, Google needs to look for a certain type of person to hire. And uh, here's what Strauss says. She says that Google, uh, you know, it's, it's after years and years of, of, of uh, hiring and firing <laughs> and quitting, and, uh, Google started looking for people with equality and generosity and curiosity towards the ideas of, of their teammates, empathy, emotional intelligence, and topping the list, emotional safety, no bullying. Right? So in other words, Google is looking for the right type of person. Uh, it, it's the same with God. God has callings for all of us. But we have to be the right type of person. And by that I don't mean we have to be perfect. But Moses was not prepared at the outset to lead God's people. And God had to prepare him. He had to hone him. He had to mature him. He had to mold him in order to be the leader of his people. And he, and he does the same things with us uh, in order to be used by him. So what I want to do this morning is I, is I want to just look at, just look at uh, two things. And I want to ask, how did God prepare Moses? And, and then we'll end with a, with a little application. But as, as we're going through this text, I just want you to ask, what is God preparing me for? And, and what sort of things are getting in the way of me being used by, by God uh, in, these, in, the, in this certain vocation that God is calling me to? And it could be something as simple as, God wants me to be a, a godly mother to my children. But it could be God is calling me to, to foreign missions. It could be what, whatever. What is God calling me to? But here's what God did for Moses. How did God prepare Moses? Well, he did two things. First of all, he humbled him. And by that I mean he stripped him of all worldly power. He humbled him. And then the second thing he did was he empowered him. And by that I mean he empowered him with godly, divine power. All right, so let's go ahead and look at the, the first thing. The first thing that God did... Uh, God did, was he humbled him. He humbled him. And, and as I said before, you know, Exodus 3 is such a famous passage, but so often we miss the context. What is the context of this passage? Where is Moses when God first appears to him? Well, he's in Midian, yes. Right? He's out in the desert. <laughs> but more specifically, he's a fugitive. Right? Did, you, did, you, did you see that? He's a fugitive in hiding. <laughs> and why is he in hiding? Well, because he tried to lead God's people, but he did it wrongly. Let's go ahead and look back here at uh, Exodus 2, verse 11 through 15. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Um, now, this language in, in verse 11 is very strong. Moses looked upon the burdens of his people. Moses saw a burden placed on Israel's back. And, and what did he do? He felt a longing to help, okay, which is always a good thing. And, and as Brent so often says, where do you, where do you feel a burden? Where do you feel discontented? Uh, th that is so often where God is, is calling you to help. So, so if you say, man, that welcome ministry is just it's a mess, you know, well, well you, need to be, you need to help. Or, man, that's, the sound sounds awful. Okay? <laughs> well, you need to help. You need to help make the sound uh, sound good. <laughs> Um, and, and Moses is looking at, at the burdens of his people, and he wants to help, okay? Now, how, do, how does he help? How does he help? Let's look here at verse 12. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, <clears throat> uh, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, okay? <laughs> so what did, what did Moses do? Well, <laughs> straight up gangster style, Okay? <laughs> 
You have to understand, this is not self-defense. It's not like this, this Egyptian was like punching a guy and Moses said, hey, stop, and he got out a gun. And, no, no, this is Moses creeping up behind a guy, killing him, okay? And then, and then, he, puts, and then he puts cement boots on the guy and, and, and puts him in, in the sea, right? It's just straight-up mobster style. He looks around, makes sure no one's watching, and then he buries the dead body, okay? So, so uh, good, good desire, but how does he execute it? Well, very, very poorly, okay, very poorly. You know, it's, it, you know uh, good intentions uh, didn't, didn't do, uh, they never do anything uh, uh, good for the world unless you actually do something good. Uh, so he killed the guy, okay? And notice what, notice what this help got him, okay? So let's look here at verse, verse 13. When he, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said uh, to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> it's like, ooh. <laughs> okay, so, so his own people hate him. Okay, but then look at verse, uh, uh, verse 15. When Moses, or, sorry, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled. Okay? So Moses goes out into Midian, but why? Well, it's because he tries to lead, but he leads wrongly. And what does it get him? It gets him rejection. And keep in mind, he's a dual citizen. He's, he is an Israelite, but he's also an Egyptian. And he's rejected by both of his people. And he's forced to flee. He's a fugitive uh, in, in exile. Okay? And that's the context where God appears to him in uh, Exodus 3. God appears to Moses uh, not in a moment of great power, Okay, not in a moment of great triumph, but where? In his moment of greatest weakness. In his moment of greatest failure. Moses is a fugitive. He's estranged from his people. And it's at that moment that God appears to him. Okay? Now, uh, the question that we, have to, that we have to ask, why did God appear to Moses there? You know, wouldn't it have been much more convenient for God to uh, appear to him way before and say, hey, I know you want to help, but just some advice. Don't don't cold-blooded murder somebody, okay? Just not good, not good. You know, don't do that. No, God appeared to him when he was in his moment of greatest weakness. Why did God appear to him there? And uh, the short answer is this. God is appearing to him in his moment of greatest weakness because he's in essence saying, I want to use you, Moses, but not like that. Okay? I want to use you, Moses, but not like that. Uh, in, other, in other words, Moses was brought to a place of powerlessness to teach him how to wield power rightly. And here's what we have to understand. Moses, he wasn't Israelite, but he was brought up in Egyptian culture. And the Egyptian uh, method of wielding power was just that. Okay? If you don't submit to me, you become my slave. And this was what the Egyptian gods were like. They were fierce, they were powerful, they were violent. But here's the irony, is Moses does not like that Egypt is wielding that sort of power, and so what does he do? <laughs> he wields that sort of power. And so God is saying, listen, don't be like that. I want to use you, but not like that. Okay. Now, what's fascinating here is, is, is we're told in Acts 7 uh, from, from Stephen when he preaches the sermon in, in Acts 7, that Moses was in the desert for a period of 40 years. Now, 
not only is that a long time, but that, that, that number is very significant all throughout, the, all throughout the scriptures. So think about when, when Noah was on, the, was on the ark. How long was he on the ark? 40 days. Israel was in the desert, exiled in the desert for how long? 40 years. Jesus, when he is baptized, he goes out into the desert to be tempted by the devil for how long? 40 days. Uh, there is this numerical geographical pattern all throughout the Bible of being in exile, of being in the desert, of facing temptation, of facing our devils <laughs> for a period of 40. Um, and why is Moses brought out into the desert? Well, because he needed to be trained, uh, he needed to be uh, prepared to use power rightly. And what is Lent? <laughs> if I could talk about the church calendar. What is Lent? Well, it's a period of 40 days. And I don't know if you've, if you've known that. From Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter Sunday, it's a period of 40 days. And why did the early church start practicing a 40-day period of fasting and prayer? Well, it's because they picked up on this numerical, geographical pattern that goes all throughout the scriptures. Whenever God wants to train someone, Whenever God wants to sanctify someone, whenever God wants to ready someone, he brings them out into the desert. He strips them of all power in order to fill them up with his power. And this is the whole point of Lent. The whole point of our walking up to, to Resurrection Day on Easter is to identify ourselves with Moses and Israel and Noah and Jesus to go out into the desert. And as Paul says, to take off the old man and to put on the new. To get rid of the passions and the sins that so hold us down so that God can prepare us for a calling, for ministry. And ultimately, you know, God bringing Moses out to the desert is a grace. It's not punishment. It is discipline, but it's a grace. Any good father or mother knows that if you don't punish your child, <laughs> or discipline, I'm sorry, discipline your child and try to get rid of the sin when they're four. <laughs> right? When they turn 24, that sin's going to be there, but it's, it's going to be a monster. Okay? Right? What is God doing in the desert to Moses? He's disciplining his child. He's disciplining him and he's saying, listen, and, and this is what Paul says in, 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 in Ephesians 4, in, 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 the old, in, in, in your old life, you used to act like this. And Paul says, that will not be so with you. Okay? And that's what God is doing with Moses. When you were an Egyptian, you wielded power like that. But it will not be so now with you. You will go back in and use power rightly. And I have to strip you of all power in order to use it rightly. And so that's what God is doing. And that's what God does with all of us. If we are children, we have to expect to be disciplined. Uh, we have to expect to be stripped so that we can be built back up. God never strips us of anything <laughs> just for the sake of it. He always disciplines for our good is what Hebrews 12 says. And that's what God is doing with Moses. And so God is, is, is humbling Moses so that he might be uh, a leader that uses power rightly. All right, but let's go ahead and move on to our second point, which is that God, God did strip him of power. But he didn't take away the power permanently. He wanted him to use power rightly. Okay? And, 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 and the way that he did this, 
The way that he wanted to train him to use power uh, is by appearing to Moses in a very specific manner, in this very strange manner. Let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now Moses was keeping flock, uh, keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, a bush was burning and yet not consumed. So how does God appear to Moses? It's this very... Uh, interesting thing. Notice that the flame itself is God, but he appears as a flame in a bush, okay? But the bush itself is not consumed. Now Moses, uh, being a, a shepherd in the desert, knows that that is highly unusual, okay? So, so if you have anything dry in, in a, a dry place, once something catches fire, what's going to happen? It's just going to poof, you know? I, I have leaves all over my, my house. Uh, they're very crispy leaves. And my wife... Uh, bothers me all the time to, to get them because if, if, if uh, to rake them up because if there's a fire, those leaves are just, they're, they're, you know, it's just, you know. Well, uh, in, in a hot, dry desert with this dry little bush, there's this flame in the midst of the bush, and yet the bush is not consumed. Uh, it's it's, it's a, a very strange uh, appearance. And we have to ask, why does God appear to Moses this way? Why does he appear to Moses this way? And, and, and the answer is very simply, God is trying to show Moses a new way of displaying power. Okay. How, how do the Egyptians display power? They do it by destruction, by competition. Okay. How, how do we get these Israelites to, to, to submit to, to me? Well, we've got to stomp on them, and we've got to lay heavy burdens on them, and we need to, know, we need to let them know that they're puny. Okay. That's how we display power. But how is God displaying power? He is a flame in the midst of a brittle bush, but the bush is not consumed. In other words, God's power is non-destructive, non-violent, enlivening. It gives life rather than takes life. Rather than burning the tree up, it illuminates the tree. You see? And this is why so many of the early church fathers, when they looked at this, uh, this appearance of this bush, they compared it to, to two different things. First of all, they compared it to the incarnation. What happens to the incarnation? Well, the fire of God becomes contained in a brittle bush in the desert. Right? And the very life of God is contained in this little brittle bush. And, and, and normally when, when, when a man encounters God in the Old Testament, he fears for his life. But what happens when God becomes one of us? Resurrection. Resurrection. Life. Healing. Sight from blindness. Okay? Another thing that the, uh, that the, that the early church compared it to was uh, the Virgin Mary. Okay? What, what dwelt in Mary's body? God. And yet what happened to her? Well, nothing. <laughs> She wasn't destroyed. She didn't die. Nothing happened to her. This is what happens when God displays his power. There is no violence. There is no coercion. There is only resurrection. Okay. 
And Thomas Aquinas is picking up on this, on this long line of, of understanding this, this fiery bush. Here's what he writes about God's power. He says that God's power, he calls it God's grace. God's grace, or God's power, perfects and does not destroy. So in other words, when God yields his power, it perfects us, it helps us, it lifts us up, it, it enlivens us. It doesn't squash us, it doesn't push us down. Uh, here, here's what uh, Robert Barron says. He says, God is not a competitor with his creation. In many ancient myths and legends, divine figures such as Zeus or Dionysus enter into human affairs, affairs only through aggression, destroying or wounding that which they invade. God does indeed enter his creation, but the world is thereby enhanced and elevated. And so what is he trying to show Moses? How does God use his power well, he doesn't use it to step or destroy or murder or take life. He uses his power to donate life. In other words, you know, in, in the creed we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we think, oh man, he must be mighty and scary. No, no, no. God is mighty in his fatherly love. God is mighty in his ability to bring us out of our state of sin and death. And he does this through the donation, the gift of his son. He gives of himself so that we might receive life. And what God is saying is, I am stripping you of all worldly power so that you can be empowered to use my power. When you come and you display your power, you do it to give life, not to take it. You do it to lift others up, not to stomp on others. You do it so that people will prosper, not be enslaved. This is the point, Moses. I'm taking away all of the Egyptian paganism that you used to live in, and I'm giving you, I'm donating my power to you so that you can use it for good. <clears throat> all right, so that's the end of, uh, of my sermon. And, and um, I, could end, I could end this sermon in... in, in several different ways I could talk about the way to use power rightly. But what I want to do is I just want to go back to the beginning of, of the sermon. What is God, uh, where, where is your desert, right? Where is your wilderness? Uh, where is your 40 days? Does that make sense? Where is God uh, stripping you of all worldliness and empowering you for something good? Uh, that is historically... Uh, what let has all been about. What is God preparing me for? How am I going to embark on my way to the cross and the resurrection? Uh, what vocation is he training me for? Um, you know, going back to my calling in ministry, I, I wasn't called into the ministry until I was uh, living in Florida. <laughs> uh, it was a very nice place. But it was in rehab, so uh, not that nice. And, and I was working at Party City. <laughs> I don't think there's a Party City in, in Batesville. And I was reading the book of Romans. And, and I remember just thinking, man, I, I, I would love to teach this to somebody. <laughs> but I got nobody to teach it to, you know. In other words, God a, a, appeared to me in my moment of greatest weakness. And why? Well, because he wants to fill me up with himself. 
And, and not with the flesh, and not with pride, and not with arrogance, and not with anger, and not with worldly power, and with worldly uh, lusts. He wants to fill me up with himself. And so often he does that. He brings us to our bottom to prepare us uh, to go out in humility, to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we end here, I just want to ask, what is God preparing you for? What is your wilderness? So let, let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your, your fatherly goodness. We thank you that you're a good, good father who disciplines your children. You don't punish, you don't uh, get angry, but you do discipline us. You prune us, as Jesus says. You make us ready. And uh, I pray for all of us. What what Father, are you calling us to? What are you preparing us for? What type of people are you transforming us to be? I pray that you'd give us eyes to see that and ears to hear. Um, and uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>